Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. And I just started like pointing at people like these like six foot five, 20 stone guys. I was just pointing at them and like totally berating them. And like, you know, looking at this guy, I'm like, what are you laughing about? And like throwing a line at this guy. And then I just, I just walked out. I was like, <laughs> I finished it. And I was like, right, see you later. And just got in my, uh, got in my 1.2 liter uh, Vauxhall Corsa and drove off. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Balancing Acts. In this conversation, I talk to comedian, actor and presenter Shane Todd. Hello, I'm Steve Whiteley and welcome to Balancing Acts, a series of conversations with an array of creatives. We talk about their journey, the struggles they faced whilst progressing their career, strategies they use to unlock their creativity, how they balance their career with their personal lives, what impact this has had on their mental health and lots more. Balancing Acts is made in association with the Comedy Crowd who support independent comedy creators. They showcase the best new videos on ComedyCrowdTV.com and across media platforms. They support independent comedy creators and showcase the best new videos, including adult animation, sketch shows, web series, viral hits, and lots more. So if you're a creator, then do check them out. Shane began performing stand-up when he was 19 years old. Since then, he's performed solo shows at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. He's also performed solo shows at Mandela and Ulster Hall. The Belfast Telegraph described him as King of Comedy and Northern Ireland's funniest comedian. Shane is also known for his comedy videos on YouTube, which he began posting as part of the Harlem Gun Club, a Northern Irish-based comedy collective. In 2019, Shane joined the cast of the Northern Irish mockumentary sitcom Soft Border Patrol. His radio show, The Shane Todd Show, was commissioned by BBC Northern Ireland. Shane also hosts his own podcasts, The Shane Toddcast and Tea With Me. This was a brilliant conversation, a lot of fun. Really enjoyed chatting to Shane as I'm sure you'll gather very quickly. We covered a load of ground, kicking off why Shane doesn't drink before a gig. We talked about the importance of having friends. This is a theme that's come up previously in episodes. The importance of having friends whose feedback you trust when it comes to your own material. How Shane got into stand-up, and he talks about his early influences from the far show and Def Jam comedy, and how it took him nine to ten years of performing stand-up before he finally got 
a hold on uh, his nerves and anxiety. Shane describes the Northern Ireland comedy scene, what he learned from going out to perform stand-up in New York, and how his approach to writing has changed over the years, and also how lockdown has given him the opportunity to go over old material and analyse it and look at it from a fresh perspective. We also discuss Shane's addiction to football manager and why he had to go cold turkey. We discuss the advantage of writing material on a notepad as opposed to a laptop. Shane describes his big epiphany during lockdown, and how he uses his experience of getting diagnosed with Crohn's disease as an opportunity to adopt a more positive mindset and attitude. He describes the experience of being a new dad and why he prefers not to do material on his family. Shane explains why he started creating content and how roasting the Ulster rugby team led Shane to going viral. He also breaks down why scheduling making content didn't work for him and he would prefer just to make and release stuff on a whim and, and when it felt good. Shane recalls how he got into radio presenting and why things fell into place only once he was his more authentic self. We also talk about his love for playing football, why God is never talked about as a best-selling author, and loads more. So, yeah, if you're if you're a comedian, aspiring comedian, or just a fan of comedy, or Shane, obviously, then you are going to love this one. So, without further ado, over to Shane Todd. Perfect. Uh, so, Shane Todd, welcome. Steve, thanks for having me. So this is your last few days of freedom before you go into lockdown. Just, a, just the last few days for the stop, I think. Yeah. And I guess being a, being a father, you haven't got the opportunity to go out on the town and have it. No. And part of me likes that I haven't had that chance because really my drinking prowess is like those, those days are kind of behind me. And yeah. like one drink does me now. So I like to keep saying, I'm not going to get out for this kind of wet in the baby's head drinks, but really I, I sort of fear it. So the longer the lockdown goes on, the better. At what point did you get to where you sort of decided to, on, in terms of drinking side of things, did you used to drink a lot when you would be doing stand up or were you always quite strict with that and disciplined? I did it once um, properly. The first time I ever got booked a headline gig, I was about 21. I'm really not ready to headline a gig. And I yeah. did two really stupid things. I bought myself a three-piece suit in Primark um, because I thought, well, I'm headlining now, so I, I need to wear a suit. And uh, also, whenever I was 21, I looked like I was about 14 or 15. So I was a child in a suit headlining a show. And I decided, um, now that I was a headliner, that entitled me to get drunk. So um, I got plastered. Did, did, it was supposed to be a 40-minute set. Did about 18 minutes, came off stage. And said to my friends, I was like, that was great. I'm just always going to do stand-up in a suit and drink. And then um, on the way home, like a lot of my mates were like, that was the, most, the worst set you've ever done. Like that was unbelievably bad, but I, I thought it was good. So from then, I've never really like, the most I've had before a gig, maybe at like the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, if you've got a friend over for the day, I've had one drink before a show, but I kind of got scared off it by that experience. And then, you meet a lot of stand-ups who, and it's kind of dying out a bit now, but, you know, need to have three, four pints before they go on stage. And I've seen situations where they haven't had an opportunity to have those drinks, and you can tell that they just don't feel the same. Mm-hmm. So um, I've, ne- I've, never re- I've never mixed the two. Yeah, yeah, it probably was. Yeah, I've, I've done the same before, and uh, exactly like what you just described, thought I was great at the time. 
yeah. but I, I, I filmed it and looking back it was absolutely just a pile of shit really but it's, <laughs> it's good to have friends like that though isn't it who can be honest with you because there's a fine balance you can you, you know you can get that kind of feedback and be like oh you're just a hater yeah, um, yeah. but it's important i think to have you know good friends whose opinions that you trust and can give you honest feedback yeah i mean there's nothing worse than when you do a gig or you deliver a set that you know was really bad and obviously out of politeness people that you kind of know were like oh that was great and you know it's not but you don't want to be like you're lying yeah Um, and so you definitely need those friends who are like that was brutal quit stand up you know your parents have never loved you you know that kind of thing yeah so let's let's start off from from the beginning you you got into stand up young right yeah yeah how, how did you first get into it had you always been someone that entertained and you know made everyone laugh in terms of friends and family and uh was that sort of the impetus yeah i came from a very um like working like a probably a working class family um and the 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 vibe was always like everybody taking the piss out of each other you got slaw if you wore the wrong thing or you said the wrong thing whatever you got ripped apart for but in like the nicest possible way like everybody had a really thick skin um so i i had that but then i wouldn't have been like disruptive in school i wouldn't have been like the class clown really when i was younger but I would, I would have waited for my moment and then like delivered it and then just stepped away. You know, I, I never really like stayed on stage, to, the equivalent of like staying on stage too long. Like I was good at impressions. So if I could like impersonate a teacher or somebody else in my class, they would want it. People would want it. They'd request it. And I was like, no, 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 I don't do that anymore. And then I'd let like, <laughs> I'd let, like a couple of periods go by and then all of a sudden just like fired in. Um, so I just, I, I, I loved comedy i loved everybody loves making people laugh there's nothing mm. better than making somebody laugh like a real yeah. proper laugh and I, w- I was always really into sketch shows like the fast show and harry enfield um, and then stand up my dad was sort of showing me a lot of stand up from america like def jam type stand up i don't know where he was getting these videos from in, 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 oh, sick. in northern ireland but yeah we were watching the all different all different influences so i always loved the art form of stand up but I would have been actually relatively shy in terms of I would love to have done school plays. I would love to have done things like that. A little bit of acting when I was a kid, but I always w- was very worried and still am to an extent about the way your mates would, would see things, you know, mm-hmm. like we just played football and things like that. So I was worried that, you know, I would, I would get the piss taken out of me if I did that kind of thing. And I'm, I really, really regret not doing that sort of thing at school. Then whenever I went to, I, I didn't thrive in school at all. But then I went to college when I was 16 and dropped out of school. And just like, I went to an all boys school. So like wearing my own clothes, mixing with girls in my class, I just started to feel like a lot more like confident and, and comfortable as a person. So then when I was like 17, I started thinking about doing stand up. At 18, I just Googled. This was before the, that kind of boom of like Live at the Apollo and, and that sort of thing where stand-up at local level really took off so i just had to google stand-up comedy belfast find a place emailed the promoter i was like i'm 18 never done stand-up before he put me on and and that was kind of it i just kind of you know it's it's not the sort of like people were always like oh you know is this something your friends and family always thought you would do 
probably not until I did it. And then they kind of went, oh, yeah, this seems like maybe a natural fit. Do you remember what your first set was about? I remember that at the time, weirdly, I was really into Russell Brand. I used to really like Russell Brand's um, podcast. I think he was doing a podcast then. And a stand-up. And I kind of, I kind of did like... Um, not an impersonation, but a, a set that was heavily influenced by that kind of delivery. I was trying to like be shocking as well, okay. um, which didn't fit the fact that I was this fresh-faced child, essentially. So <laughs> I remember I wrote the set out word for word because I thought you learned to script. That's the best thing to do. But I had no experience of being on stage. So as soon as I got up, I forgot like my second line and then the set fell apart. And I had a notebook and I asked someone, could they get it from the far side of the room? And, and then I just eventually started talking about how bad it was going. And that bought me a lot of laughs because I did look so young. Everybody was like, oh, I feel terrible for this very tall child. Um, so I remember I had the first bit that I did was, so we have like different buses in Northern Ireland. You have Metro, which is like your city buses and Ulster bus, which is like the rural buses. And sometimes they pass each other and my, First material was about how metro bus drivers wave at each other, Ulster bus drivers wave at each other, and that moment of when a metro bus passes an Ulster bus and they don't know whether they should give it or not. That was my first bit. Um, and it was one of those bits where I liked the idea, but I could yeah. never verbalize how I thought it was funny. Right, um, right. But yeah, I mean, the ner- like nerves used to really, really get me so bad. And I can still remember being so out of my comfort zone doing that first gig, but really, really enjoying the experience. But yeah, it was a disaster. First gig was a complete disaster. Yeah, I mean, they very rarely go well, do they, first gigs? And if they do, like you're setting yourself up for a fall. Yeah, I think, you you know, when people smash their first gig, it's usually when they pack it with friends and family. Exactly. Which I totally understand that somebody would do, but... um, I had a, a, a guy yesterday on Instagram say, like, thinking about doing stand-up. And I know him, you know, he's like, I'm 16, 17, I want to do stand-up. What advice would you give me? And I was like, the number one thing is your first year of doing stand-up, don't mention to anyone you know where you're playing. Just, mm-hmm. like, we, we're all funny in front of our friends, but, like, you know, you got to make strangers laugh. So, uh, yeah, when people have a really good first one, I think it's because they, they bring a lot of people. But, what, I mean, why not? Yeah, and you're talking about the, the nerves. How long did that take you to, to get past that? To, so you reached a point where, you know, it didn't let that affect you or you didn't feel as nervous before getting on stage? Honestly, nine or ten years. Really? Yeah, not, not, not as crippling as they were at the start. You know, at the start, I, would, I was shaking a lot holding a microphone. Yeah. Um, I, did, you, did, you ever, did you ever get that? You ever get the, you ever shake? Oh, for sure. For sure. It's, it's that feeling of waiting, waiting to go on, waiting to be announced and just feeling sick and wanting something to happen, wanting the, the, the venue to blow up, wanting and you to be included in that. Like You're just like, please don't let me have to do this set. Um, that, that only lasted for the first couple of years, but then I, I always, I got nerves, but didn't really know how to, like, how to deal with them. Mm. I just used to let it like get on top of me and then go on and be, it w- I picked up a lot of bad habits. I would start my set talking really fast. I would try and get to the microphone really quick and I, I never really settled into it. And I don't really, I think the turning point was probably, and look, I still get nervous from time to time. Like 
it'd be crazy if you didn't. And I think you, you, you do need some element of, um, of nerves. But I, I think it was just reaching like maybe a certain age. I'm feeling like a bit more, not comfortable as a person, but just, yeah, just being more, being more comfortable, just being me and not trying to, to be someone else. And finding your voice. Once you find yeah. your voice, it helps. That kind of thing. Mm. So, but I still, I still will get nervous, and sometimes it's for no reason. Right. I could have done. I'm, I could be just going to try five minutes somewhere, and I've played the venue fifty times, and all of a sudden I might like spot someone and know in the crowd who I know has never seen me do stat. Like somebody who used ah, to go okay, to school yeah. with. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, oh shit! Like this guy's a doctor, you know? <laughs> <laughs> this guy is dissecting your work. Yeah. So, um, yeah, the nerves have got have got better um but i I, and i've probably like i've done so many bad gigs that you just build up that that thick skin that you kind of that i'm talking about whenever i say like growing up in you you know i'm a granny's house in the middle of a council estate it's Mm. the same thing you just build up that ability to kind of roll with it yeah and what about the flip side when you when you've smashed the gig and you're full of adrenaline I, I remember, you know, for, for probably for the first year when I was doing stand-up, I couldn't sleep. I, that after, if I did a gig and it went well, I was just full of adrenaline. You know, yeah. I was like, oh, my God, like, I, I've arrived. Like, I'm here. I've, you know, it's yeah. just like this mad feeling. Did you um, get that for a while? And if so, never. You, you never got that? Ne- See, like, that's probably, so- it's only the egotistical ones that get that. <laughs> yeah. It's so funny that, like, I plan after for a big show. I'm like P Diddy when it comes to planning an after party. I'm like, we're gonna go here. We're booking out the club. We're then we're going on to this place. The last couple of shows I've done have been Saturday night shows, like big shows. Yeah. I've always fallen on a Saturday night, and both times I've been back before the end of match of the day. <laughs> That's my barometer of success for a show. Can I do a good show and can I get back? for for match of the day um i sleep like a baby after shows i i do get that it's almost like when a show's done um i just switch off straight away so you don't feel like a sense of of joy or excitement after having done a show that's gone really well not for like two or three days i get a real delayed sense of oh okay i'm i'm very critical of myself so right sometimes I'll be like, yeah, no, it was good, but was it that good? And I'm like, maybe messed this delivery up on that bit and I got those bits in the wrong order. Yeah. And then, like, say it's a Saturday, on, like, a Tuesday afternoon, I'll I'll, I'll be cutting the grass and go, oh, that, was, that was good. That was quite good. <laughs> you know, so it's like, I I, I don't know. I, de- I definitely did used to get the that thing of, like, you know, you do a good show and it's like, and that, that probably... When I when I felt that adrenaline was probably when I was drinking a little bit more. Like I never drank much. I've never been a real drinker. Mm-hmm. But I was like, "What am I going to do?" And we, we would always go for drinks after the show. Um, but then when when that feeling kind of went away, I never felt the need to ever have a drink. I'm not a hangabout guy. When the show's done, I'm I'm gone. Mm. I just like I just like to get back home. I just love to sleep. I love to sleep. I get up early, but I like to get into bed for a reasonable time. And if I get it, like, I haven't seen Midnight. We're talking, like, well over a year. Wow. And also considering you've got a newborn baby, that's pretty impressive. Yeah, well, you know, my style of parenting is, you know, you just got to listen to it. 
you know so okay. you know the, yes there's cues there but i'm like don't worry we'll get them in the morning um yeah i mean obviously that was a big disruption sleep-wise and that is why i will always have some sort of resentment towards my son but um <laughs> yeah when it comes to stand up no i'm a i'm a do the set and get home have a yeah, yeah it's probably a very healthy way to go about doing it because you can get into all sorts of mischief otherwise um yeah talk to me about the the comedy scene then in northern ireland because it seems like there's quite a lot of exciting acts around there and has that always been the case from when you you kicked off or has it has the scene grown over time do you know i i say and it's not just bias point for point it it, it is one of the best scenes out of like you know some of this one like i was in new york for example got to do some clubs there it's a whole different ball game. How was that experience? Uh, so I learned so much only doing like four gigs. Um, yeah. I just learned a lot about um, style of stand-up, like the way people were presenting it. And I, I, I'd only been to like the West Coast before to do stand-up. So I saw huge differences between the LA and the New York scene. Okay. Like I thought like LA was where it's at and like this is where I should be watching stand-up. Yeah. And if I'm going over a couple, I've got my visa. So like, should I be going over here? And then yeah. I went to a couple of clubs in New York and I was like, oh no, this is, this is the home of standup. This is yeah. really, there was no, I felt in LA, I still loved the standup out there. I was, uh, so I was at the comedy store for a couple of nights just to watch and um, I was blown away by it. Mm-hmm. But a lot of it there was like, how polished is the act? How, how well-dressed are the comedians? Like, it's almost like they were having a game of like, who can wear the, the most expensive trainers whereas go to new york it's like brick backgrounds basement it's raw raw, isn't it people in hoodies jeans and and, you know walking shoes so um it was a great experience but the the stand-up scene in northern ireland is really good but it does tend to go up and down quite a lot okay um when you know when you had the likes of live at the apollo and michael mcintyre's comedy roadshow um that was like almost like the birth of a new wave of stand-up here when when people um there was a comedy club starting in every town and village um everyone was trying stand-up mm-hmm. uh, and there was a lot of gigs then it kind of died off a little bit and about four years ago it really came back and it's probably been at, been at its best in saying that i think the, the the quality is so good and a lot of that is people here which is not common at all will will support their own you know audiences will mm-hmm. You know, it used to be they would go see Peter Kay, Michael McIntyre in the arena and, and, you know, and go out once a year to see stand-up. Now people are kind of seeing the value in, I can go out once a month for that price and, and see local comedy on my doorstep and get a good, a real good laugh that way. So people have started to support their own acts, which is, which is brilliant. And that's really helped the scene. Um, but yeah, it, it, it comes and goes. And, um, and I think before, pre-COVID and stuff, the uh, the scene was just really, really, really strong. But in saying that, there's no weekend club. So, I mean, that has always been a... That's always been something I find really hard because that seems to me when everybody would want to see stand-up at every mm. club is during the week. Because Why is that? You would have thought, somebody would have thought, you know what, I think there's a bit of a niche yeah. here. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's the bars kind of prioritise... Um, 
you know, just packing somewhere out with drinkers and right. okay. they don't want to have to close sense. it off for stand up. I get it, but um I think I've I've never been somebody who wanted to run a comedy club and I still don't ever want to run a comedy club. Yeah. But I would be prepared to he- really help someone if they wanted to run a weekend club because I would get to perform there. Yeah. Uh, but the scene's great. It's really good and I think there hasn't been a chance to to really show that yet. Like I did a a thing for BBC about two months ago called Stand Up for Live Comedy and it was filmed during COVID and it was an outdoor show. Um and and there was there was myself and another local act there and then there was some acts from different parts of the UK. Um I, I would love to see a platform where we could just be like this is a representation of the kind of Belfast Northern Ireland comedy scene. Um but the standard's good. It's really good. Great. I know you collaborate then you with um various comedians now on the content side of things which i'll discuss with you in, in a sec um just to go back on something you, you you talked about when you first started doing stand-up you're saying you used to write out every single line and every single joke how has that progressed over time is it more of a case now where you just have an idea of what you want to talk about and then you try out on stage or is there still an element and degree of sort of writing structure that you have to it you have sort of come full circle on that so i used to just write everything out and really care about the way it was written and the and the words and be and pay attention to the detail of that. Then I can once I got more confident on stage, I would kind of take up something with a start, a middle, and an end, and just be really loose with it. Mm. Then at the start, so I haven't never I've always relentlessly like done stand up as much as is possible in Northern Ireland and and travelled, but in in like thirteen years of doing stand up, I've never never taken a break from it, never said like, oh, I'm going to take a month. And I've always wanted to perform. So when the first lockdown hit, that was the first time I had ever taken a break from stand-up and really had a chance to kind of evaluate my act and, and my material and looked at what I was doing and thought, how can I like, how can I better this? What could I be doing differently? And at that point I went back to actually like working on a laptop and writing material out and, going over every line and saying like, can I put more punchlines in here? Does that word need to be here? So I got like, I started doing the thing I did when I started, uh, but with obviously way more experience. And I think this is the way I should be writing. I got to do some show, like six shows and three nights in September, really condensed into like a week where we were allowed to kind of do stuff. And um, I think that were some of the best, some of the best shows I've ever done because the it, it just flowed so well I, I i have so many bad habits and i didn't really realize until i was forced to stop and like i watched a load of sets that i had recorded and just said like what well, why why have i never stopped to kind of evaluate this and, and work on it so i think now my my writing approach has kind of changed for the better and i'm i'm using the old like yellow paper that kind of thing mm-hmm. everyone just seems to do that it seems to make your material better somehow um, just, it just looks sort of very authentic. You're an authentic yeah. comedian if you're sitting in a cafe with a pattern. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, but the, do you know the laptop actually has helped me a lot because uh, I kind of I write like pretty quickly. If I've got an idea, I want to mm. write it down quickly, and, and then that makes me that gets me thinking about another bit of material. And I think the laptop's better, right? Because if you if you're constantly like changing a line and working on it, it's quicker mm. than just type. Kind of, I don't know. I'm, do you I think like it affects easy. your creativity like in a different way? Like I feel like the, the reason, there's a reason why people use pen and paper. They feel in some way 
you feel like more connected. It's more of a direct connection to your own creativity. Whereas with a laptop, that's one step removed. I don't know, maybe just because a laptop symbolizes something more serious and work-minded and also the distractions that come with a laptop, i.e. Yeah, yeah. popping up, maybe it's, it's more that than anything else. I think um, I'm better at resisting distractions. So my big distraction, and probably why I've never worked on a laptop up until now, was I was addicted to the game Football Manager. So I'd have it open right on another yeah. window and I would just switch between. Right. So I'd be like, I'd be like working on a set for a tour show, but then also trying to get Barnsley back up into the championship, that sort of thing. So I, I now don't play that. Like cold turkey, I don't play the game. Any, I mean, I think I've been... That's why Barnsley have done so badly since. <laughs> yeah. I think it all I've makes been sense a, year, now. a year sober from Football Manager. And, um, but, so, I, so if I am writing, I can, I can just focus on it. But part of it, maybe now that I think about it, is whenever I write on a page... And I'm like halfway through a bit and I go, I don't like those, that last paragraph. So I score it out. Right. If I then write under that, I see the fact that I've scored so much out. So that it starts to creep into my head. I'm like, I'm not, I'm not on form here. Whereas on a laptop, you don't see your mistakes because you just... That's interesting. That's just come to me there now. And my brain hurts a little bit thinking of it. But, uh, <laughs> that's but yeah, super that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I guess because you're it's just... It's a cleaner... It's a cleaner document, you know? Yeah, yeah, that makes complete sense. That makes complete sense. So how did it feel for you having gone from, you know, gigging nearly every night of the week since you started or however many nights a week you're going, you said, you know, you've constantly gigged to then that just being taken away from you. Aside from having the time to focus on your work, how did it affect you like personally? Were you kind of just like, whoa, I need to reassess my life? Or did you have any sort of like big epiphanies in that respect? Probably closer to the big epiphanies thing. I, uh, I'm very optimistic as a person and, mm-hmm. uh, and like pretty like laid back and jolly. Um, and so I, I, I like to, as best I can, roll with the punches. Mm-hmm. So it's like... Uh, okay, this is not an ideal situation, but there's still plenty of things that I can do. I'm not going to get to do stand-up, so let me work hard so that when I can do it again, I'm in a position where I can just get straight into it and I don't feel like it's, it's alien to me. Mm-hmm. Um, it kind of comes from a bit of a digression, but uh, so I got diagnosed with Crohn's disease about um, six years ago, which is like an autoimmune disease. And, um, and like, it's, it's kind of with you for life. And that was a big, that was the only time I've ever actually, I had a little, I had like three weeks where I didn't do stand up during that time. Um, but that, that was a point in my life where I, not to get deep, but where I was like, this is not good, but you know, there's, there's positive, you know, I'm, I'm relatively fit and healthy. Um, I can look at this as like a big negative in my life. Or I can just kind of ply on and I can just focus on like getting better and feeling better. And I, I kind of took that into, into like comedy as well. And then just general life. So, you know, I was talking to you before this about like, oh, we've got another lockdown. So it's going to be like, I don't know, 10 months, 11 months. We've got a, 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 we've had our first child. We're in the house together. You could look at the negatives of, of that or look at the positives. So I'm always looking at positives and, to take a break from stand-up, um, it kills me in a way because 
I want to go do stand up, I would I would literally walk fifty miles to go to to go to an open mic somewhere. But um but it gives me that time to to work on my act and write new material and 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 make sure that not that I do, but I'll never take stand up for granted. So it was definitely tough. It was definitely tough. And the the tough part of it is this kind of stop start nature of this for everyone, I guess. You know, you think, okay, this we can maybe get back to it in September. Oh, it's gonna be twenty twenty one, that kind of thing. Um but I just try and put the work in to make sure that whenever it is that we can come back that I'm ready to kinda of hit the ground running as best as I can. Yeah, that's a very positive attitude to take. And uh I'm sure that affects you in just in other areas as well. You know, with you know, comedy, it's supposed to be a fun endeavor. So when you're working with with people on different projects, whether it's TV or radio, because obviously now you do radio presenting, that kind of thing makes a difference. Well, what would people rather work with? Someone who's like super positive minded in that respect or the opposite? You know, I know what I know who I'd rather work with. So yeah, like as well as you're affecting your own sense of well-being, it just, that just like has ripple effects. Yeah. And, and I, I am always, I always gravitate towards people who, who, who are like that too. You know, mm. people who, who are, who are more easygoing and, 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 you know, like happy to be doing whatever it is that they're, whatever it is they're doing. Cause there's frust- you know, when you do stand up or radio, whatever, you know, if the, if, if the show's not going right or whatever, there's always frustrations in that. But like, you know, you're getting to do a radio, you get paid to do a radio show or if a gig doesn't go well, stand up or someone bitching about, you know, this or that. It's like, like you're full-time comedian. Literally like we get paid to do what for most of us is like doing it is, is a dream job. So like the, sometimes people are shocked at things like, you know, go against them. And, and I've, I've let stuff like that get on top of me where I'm like, I'm not getting a break here and that kind of thing. But mm. my kind of new attitude is like, well, look, if, if I keep working hard, like things will, things will work out. Yeah. Great. And how has it been being a new padre during lockdown? I guess if you're taking this positive perspective, you'd be like, great. I haven't had any gigs so I can fully focus on this. Yeah. Or you could be like, what you're saying, the little fucker hasn't let you get a wink of sleep. No, and he hasn't apologised. Um, oh, five just five months. Um, it's it's been it's literally like the best thing, the best thing that ever happened. Um, what? Why? That is like that is the thing that people say. What? What do you feel makes it the best thing? It's like it, it's it's like always being in awe. It's like okay. anything he does is incredible. He yeah. could like you know, look at you a certain way. And he doesn't mean it, you know what I mean? He's just like, he's just looking. He could, he could sneeze a certain way. Um, we just started him on like a little bit of food this week, like liquidized food. Okay. I nearly cried because he had pears today and I like pears. You know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> it's like everything is just, I don't know, you feel like, and I, and, and I'm not one of these, you know, there's people who are like, Oh, you need to have children, you know, as if, as if the, you know, if you, if you don't have children, you never achieved anything. I don't subscribe to that at all. Mm. Um, but personally for me, there's just the thing of like that I I've done, you know what I mean? Like I thought like he is yeah. something that I am responsible for. Like this is, 
it, it, it's like always looking at like at like a victory or something. It's just uh, it's incredible and and scary. Like definitely, definitely scary to have the baby in lockdown was tough because I I didn't get to go to all the appointments or the scans towards the end and I had to leave a couple hours after you know the baby was born and drive home and wait at home for like a day and a half two days but in the grand scheme of things that means nothing and it doesn't taint my experience at all and positives are like oh like get to be around home a lot um we get to spend time as as a three obviously my wife's on maternity leave so um and and it's it, it's it's I think I'm pretty focused, but it's like focus me even more on everything because it's just that added responsibility. But again, looking at that responsibility in a positive way, mm-hmm. you know, as opposed to like feeling under pressure because like yeah, this guy just loves to eat food. Yeah, yeah, that's a super important point actually. Just to how you frame it, it's a, it's a positive sense of responsibility. You've just got to be picking pears from those trees, my friend. <laughs> yeah. You've got plenty of pears in Northern Ireland? Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 We're, we're, we've got too many, if anything. Oh, great. Okay. Right. Good. They're, they're nice and ripe. Yeah. 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 We're just, you know, we, it, potatoes was the big thing here for a long time. Oh, um, yeah. I heard that. I heard that. Yeah. And we're kind of swaying towards pears now. Okay. Fantastic. Okay. As an alternative, you know, it doesn't work like uh, as well on like a, a Sunday roast, but we're, we'll still put the pears on there. Yeah, I mean, if anything, it looks good. It could, yeah. you know, it's, it's deceiving, but uh, more vitamin C, less carbohydrates. Yeah, and ten pairs are are illegal here. Really? Yeah. Did not know that. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Black market I mean, stuff. I, I know. Yeah, I was going to say. I know. I know the right guy, but uh, yeah, definitely frowned upon. It uh, with stand up. One of the weird things about being a new parent is everyone says like, "Oh, you're going to have so much material." But, and I did have like one bit, I had like a three minute bit where I was like, this is almost written itself. I'm not going to not do this. I did it on that the like BBC TV show, just about the set, because that our baby was ma- is still massive. He's a huge man. Um, <laughs> so, we, uh, so I did material about that. But I don't really think I'll do a lot of it because um, I, 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 I almost like don't want, you know, I was talking about like going home after a show like pretty quickly and I hang about with comedian friends and stuff, but I do like to kind of get home. Um, I, I just like having like, you know, two different things. I like having my family and like my personal life and then like going to do stand up. Mm-hmm. And I know that people, you know, mix them and, you know, all that kind of thing. And you feel like if you follow a comedian that you also know their family and that's great. Like I, I, mm-hmm. I love that. But personally, that just doesn't really it doesn't really work for me. Like I like, you know, coming home and just not sharing that. And yeah. Sharing, yeah. It's, yeah. I think it's, yeah. I think it's healthy to have, you know, your own degree of, of privacy. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why I don't talk a lot about him in stand up, and I probably won't talk a lot about him. Obviously there'll be bits and pieces here and there. And listen, if I come up with a bit, I'm not going to not do it. But, um, but yeah, it just feels like there should be some, for me, like just the way I want to work feels like there should be a little bit of separation because like, you know, where you get, you got a lot of messages like, you know, how's the baby and that kind of thing just from people on Instagram and Twitter who, who just are really well-meaning, but it's like, you know, I just, I just like keeping it separate. 
because then everyone feels like they they know your family and they you know I don't know it just feels like I like to kind of go do stand up and then when I come home like that's like me I'm not coming home as a comedian or yeah. looking for material or, the, or or anything like that yeah that makes sense so what happens then when he grows up and becomes infamous for selling tin pears um <laughs> what are you gonna do i don't i mean here's the thing it's five months now at the minute i couldn't physically do anything uh yeah, because no. he's bigger than me so yeah, by exactly. the time he gets to uh his teenage years and, and adulthood I, I don't stand a chance no no okay well, look, it's it's good to assess these things now, isn't it? <laughs> Hello, sorry to interrupt in the middle of this insightful conversation, which I'm enjoying, I'm sure, just as much as you are. But I need to give you guys a little reminder. Uh, if you like this conversation, this episode, if you like balancing acts in general, then please do subscribe to us, rate and review us because it makes the world of difference. And the more reviews we get, the more rates we get, the more people can discover the podcast and we can make it go viral, whatever that means. Okay, back to the chat. Wanted to ask you about the uh, content side of things as content with uh, inverted commas. Everyone likes to talk about content. Um, (laughs) you are you're you're prolific on that side of things what point did you get into youtube and why did you decide to 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 start going down that direction on top of doing traditional stand-up um i think it was i might have this like when i started like youtube was very much um it was just something you would you would put a thing and just like leave it there you know Mm. people might see you weren't like directly being like look at this thing i've done it's on youtube it was just kind of part stuff on youtube because you felt like you should and and there was no you term youtuber or anything like that um what happened i think was i did a sketch show for bbc northern ireland uh that really really didn't do well It, it, it wasn't well received we were all kind of like too new to really be doing it Mm-hmm. And um, I, but I really enjoyed the process of making sketches. So I did um, that show came out, and then nothing really happened with it. Of course, I was like nineteen, twenty. I thought I've done a sketch show for BBC Northern Ireland. I will just get to choose whatever project I do from that. You know, I've made it like essentially. Um, but then nothing happened, and I was like, "Well, I still want to do that kind of thing." So you know, let me do my own kind of sketches and and really just enjoyed that process and I was doing it more for fun than anything else. I, I didn't see it as something that could really fuel my stand up and get people to, I wasn't doing a thing that people will get to know me and then they'll come see me live. Mm-hmm. It was just like, it was almost just like a, a separate hobby from stand up. I didn't connect them really too much. So I just did some sketches um, collaborated with different comedians from here. Like I would edit the stuff as well. And I was really bad. I was really bad at shooting stuff and editing because I'd done a course in it in college, but I got put in front of the camera for everything because I, I, I not wanting to do it at school. Then when I got to college, I was like, I could just be in this. So I was trying to be in everything. So I never actually got behind the camera and that's what the course was. <laughs> uh, so we would go and shoot like, I remember we did a day of filming Danny Dyer's Deadliest Men parodies, which at the time I was like, this is this is the stuff. Like this it's is gold, it. Yeah. And it would be so badly edited and the shutter speed was wrong and all that kind of thing. And then I did a, I did a character. I was just doing one-off sketches. 
and then um, I started having a look at look if I was to like develop a character, what what would he look like and how would he talk and started thinking of a parody of someone who's from like the affluent part of the town that I'm from. Sat with a few friends having a drink in our local and they were chipping in. They were like, "Oh, he should he should would he, would he have this kind of tie on and would he would he say this sort of thing?" We just all talked it through just really casually. And then I, I, I started doing this character called Mike McGoldrick. The name didn't come from anywhere. It yeah. just it just felt like that's what he should have been called. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't a play on words or anything. Uh, put, put it on the YouTube. And then it just kind of sat there. And it had like a couple of hundred views. I think I was like tweeting about it on Facebook and the link. Remember, like obviously it's way before you were directly putting stuff on mm-hmm. Facebook or Twitter. And, um, and then... It, the character was like a middle-class rugby. So he was always talking about how he, he, he did play professional rugby, uh, but he, you know, the social side of things took over and, and he couldn't, he, he couldn't commit to a career because he was going to so many social events and that kind of thing. <laughs> then the Ulster rugby team got me, someone had seen the video and they got me to come and do stand up at a team dinner. They were having like a real casual thing in a pizza place. Okay. Um, and, and I got fully dressed as a character in like, you know, blazer, tie, chinos um, and wrote like a little bit of a roast about like every player in the squad. <laughs> and I, and, That's and ballsy. They, how, how did it go down? Well, the guy was like, I'll meet you at the door. I'll walk you in. I'll introduce you to the boys and then you can do your thing. And I was like, I'm going to be far too nervous. What I'll do is I'll just walk in and do it. Yeah. So they had all like, passed it around the video themselves because okay. the character was talking about he used to play for Ulster Rugby so they had, they had seen it so I just like walked in it looked like uninvited but he said it and I just started like pointing at people like these like 6 foot 5 20 stone guys I was just pointing at them and like totally berating them and like you know looking at this guy I'm like what are you laughing about and like throwing a line at this guy and then I just I just walked out I was like <laughs> I finished it and I was like right see you later and just got in my uh Got in my 1.2 liter uh, Vauxhall Corsa and drove off. And uh, the guy who or- the player who organized it, as like a thank you, got all the players to get their phones out and tweet the link to the most recent video. Wow. Okay. So like 20, 20 like Ulster players, Ireland internationals, like did that, and that just kind of accelerated it all and kind of got that character out there. And then I was working on other stuff and and picked up the momentum there. So. Um, YouTube's never really been a big platform for me. I don't think like some videos are like do really well on it, but um, but like I think Twitter, Twitter was go- kind of really good for me, and then more recently Facebook and kind of now Instagram. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I mean, I put I just put stuff on all all those platforms now. But um, I just I just love to make sketches and and I like to. I like to really just mess around and do silly stuff. And I, I tried to do a thing of, I don't know if you've, you've done this before, or how, how you kind of schedule stuff, but I went through a phase where I was like, right, once a month I'll do a video with this character. And then the next week, every, every like third Wednesday, I'll do a video with this. And I tried that for a while and I was like, this feels so forced. Right. So now I just do that kind of stuff, the character stuff, just as and when. No build okay. up to it. Just, so just you have no out. schedule at all. It's kind of like, you feel like something you're doing something and then and you do it and you've got a team of collaborators haven't you like if, is it is it is it fellow comedians northern ireland around your area and you all just sort of collaborate together 
yeah, yeah, it's just a case of come up with a sketch. Um, I've got a couple of guys that sort of film stuff for me and, and edit it, mm. or or my editing has got a little bit like I'm still a basic editor, but I can do the job. Yeah. Um, so I just you know pick a day and see who can film it for me. Do I need anybody else to be in it? If so, just WhatsApp some other stand-ups and, and, and get them in it. And then if we're doing corporate stuff, kind of the same thing. And, and the best thing about that is, you know, you can, you can pay people, which is great. Um, so, yeah, I, there's a lot of, there's a pool of a lot of people that I would, I would collaborate with. It is a real good scene here in that sense of, like, everyone will jump in a sketch for you and vice versa, you know. Oh, that's great. Because collaboration is key, isn't it? Like one to make it fun, but also to just to get it as best as it possibly can. And by having different people's opinions and skills, yep. and you can pull that together. That's what's going to take it to the next level. Yep. So on the social media side of things, I guess it's funny, isn't it? Because you go into this thing, like with the idea you're going to be a comedian, and with that you learn all these skill sets, etc. But suddenly you're also a social media expert. You know, you're a comedian who's also got this skill sets in social media. Did you like spend time researching how these algorithms work or, you know, any of the marketing skills? Or was it simply a case of I've got ideas, I want to make them, we'll put them out and then we'll see how they're received? Exactly that. Just put stuff out and, you know, you, you hear a little bit about the likes of the algorithm. This is a good time to post and the, the key time, you know, post at noon or post at seven o'clock at night. You, if I'm editing something, when I finished editing it, I'll post it because I can't take that weight. I can't wait and post, you know, if I have an idea for something uh, and it makes sense to post it in a month and a half because it coincides with something, there's no way I'm sitting on it. I'll say I'll do it and then I'll just go be like, oh, guys, I just I posted it. Yeah. Um, I like to just get it out there. Obviously, be a bit, you know, being a bit sensible, I'm not going to post something at 2 a.m. or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think people will, will kind of see it. People will see it no matter what. Obviously, that I did notice the, the, with the algorithm, I've noticed that, like, you know, on Facebook, people see things a lot less. Um, you know, on your Facebook page, like one in 20 people see it, or, you know, that, unless you're boosting it, that kind of thing. Right. And I, I have had friends actively put a lot less out there and say like oh that bloody algorithm and it's like yeah but it's it's that for everyone you know what i mean and and you've got to be putting stuff out regularly haven't you that's the thing yes yeah exactly that's what that's what's good about you know doing the likes of this doing doing a podcast you know Mm. you've got clips you can put out from the podcast and the start of like the big lockdown was really good because i was in the house i've got a camera i've got a green screen I just made loads of stuff, but then I put loads of old videos out too. So if someone had just found out about me, I would be like, well, what about this video from 10 years ago? Mm-hmm. Like throwback type thing. So I was able to put like loads of stuff out. Um, but yeah, I'm not really into the whole mechanics of it. It is mm-hmm. just a case of if I have an idea, I'll film it and put it out. And like my most, that character I was talking about, Mike McGoldrick, that's probably my most popular character. Mm-hmm. but it's the character that I do less just because I kind of burnt the ideas and I didn't want to force it. Yeah. But next week I might have an idea for something with that and I'll do it and I'll just put it straight out. Yeah, that's great. And also it's, it's important what you said before when you're developing stuff for, for TV or, you know, other traditional media, 
you know, we, we, we both know that that whole process can take a long time. So yeah. to have, you know, a creative out, you know, somewhere to just post stuff, to have your ideas out there, etc. is like so important for your own sanity more than anything else. Yeah, it, it's just like t- TV stuff is, is great. I really enjoy it, but that it takes something away when like you shoot something in March and they're like, yeah, it's going on in October. And then you, know, you might get an email where they're like, listen, we've had to put it back to January. I love like, that's why I love stand up because it's immediate and doing sketches is pretty close to that, you know, because you can, I could shoot something now. What time is it? 20 past two when we record this and I could have it up by four. Yeah. No, I love, I love immediacy. hundred percent. I love just being really excited. Yeah. and, And you're getting feedback as well from people. So that can help inform future ideas. And, and then talk to me about the radio side of things. Because obviously, you know, you, you present as well and you've, been on, you've had a show on BBC Radio Ulster. How did that come about? And was that something that you always wanted to get into right from the start? I probably wanted to get into a different side of it. I probably wanted to get into more, more presentary style stuff. Okay. I, I, at the start of doing stand-up, um, that, that was a big thing that people said to me. It was like, oh, you should be like a, a presenter, like a TV presenter. I got that a lot. And... I was very much like, well, I'll do anything. Of course you're like that. You know, you're like, yeah, I'll do whatever, whatever people think I should do, then I'll do it. Yeah. Uh, so I was like doing pilots for a lot of like studio floor stuff, you know, shiny floor studio stuff and yeah. putting on a little bit of a presenter voice. And, and I thought maybe this is my best way because if I do this and I get to present the show, then I can tell them I do stand up, you know, mm-hmm. and then people come and see me do stand up. Um, I, I realized about six seven years ago that, that that was not that's not me being comfortable with myself at all mm-hmm. um so i i, I stopped trying I, w- I was doing like i was like reviewing bands on local radio and trying to whatever way i could get in i used to do that as well it's, it's hard though isn't it because if it's something that you've wanted to do if it's like a dream of yours it's quite a painful process to arrive at the decision that actually i don't know if i'm actually that good at this particular style or this thing yes. you know yeah, exactly. And I was trying to, you know, I was doing that kind of more presentary voice, but still yeah. trying to be funny. And that just, that always sounds so naff, you know? And, yeah, yeah. And then about five years ago, um, a, a producer at BBC Radio, kind of when I, not when I stopped trying to get in there, because I, 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 I still am, but like when I stopped trying to just do everything, then mm-hmm. that's when it kind of came, almost came to me where, where a producer was like, um, like I called Owen McFadden, was like, look, I, I like your stand-up, I like what you do online. Let's try and do that on radio somehow. And mm. we don't have, um, you know, Channel 4 aren't based here. Or we don't have other channels. It, it just, it's BBC or nothing here, mm-hmm. basically. Uh, so it's always like, it's, it's always felt like the pinnacle. Um, so they said, look, we'll give you a show on BBC Radio Ulster, and you can just experiment. You can do mm-hmm. sketches, you can do stand-up, you can play music, you can do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. Um, and we did a few series of that, but I never really connected with the audience. Um, Radio Ulster would have a slightly more mature audience than than me. You know, the demographic would be would be a little bit older, and it felt like I was trying to do what I th- thought they would want me to be doing. If that makes sense, yeah. I, like I need to sound like more mature and I need to be like more sanitized 
Um, and it was kind of ticking along and I don't think either me or them thought like this was really a long-term thing. Mm-hmm. And then, so we started, because we were doing a bit of everything. It was like sketches, it was a magazine show, it was interviews. And it was experimental, but it was it was too much and it wasn't a good product that I was putting out. And then at the start of lockdown, uh, we got another series and it felt like kind of make or break, like the last series, it felt like. Um, and I, I, I love old school dance music. Um, like Culture Beat, Mr. Vane, No Limits, Too Unlimited. That, that is my favorite genre of music. And it was lockdown and the weather was crap and everybody was just depressed and stuck in the house. So it was our first show in the series. We had all these sketches planned and I said to Radio Ulster, is there any way just as a one-off, can I just play all this old school dance music and let us go a little bit nuts for an hour and a half on a Friday night? The show six until half seven. Mm-hmm. I fully expect them to say no when they were like, Go for it, just as a one-off, take it for a walk. So we were playing like Zombie Nation and Eiffel 65 Blue and yeah. Cafe Del Mar and and it it just like it just exploded. It just really took off. And by the like we were getting like five, six emails and texts a show before in the series before. It, it was like something that they couldn't keep up with coming from the like printer into the studio to hand us like requests and shout outs and and we did we do like 10 week runs in there to kind of get used to being on radio and just by the end of it it was like it, it was like a community of people it was like there were regulars texting into the show and we were getting like uh all these instagram videos of like people dancing with their whole family and that, and it, wow. it was really neat music it's really niche yeah. early 90s music but there was videos of like you know kids raving in their kitchen with with glow sticks with grandparents and and it just felt like uh it it, it honestly like one of the proudest moments of like my career because we could actually see mm. it's the only thing apart from stand-up or live at the time we could see the effect it was having mm. um and and we've kind of just been doing that show ever since like That's we came back right. for the next series where we're like well, we're gonna have to, they were gonna want us to change it up, and they were like, "Look, if you're happy, we can keep doing this." Um, and we're hopefully coming back in January here, and uh, that's gonna be the start of a new lockdown in Northern Ireland. And we think the best way to, you know, put a smile on people's faces is just by playing all that kind of music and just really just it's just it's just a stupid kind of show. It's not highbrow. Mm-hmm. Nobody's doing a presenter voice. We're 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 giddy. I do it with my best friend Dave as well. Oh, great man! And we we have a great producer called Dan who produces my podcast, so he gets it, and we we're really comfortable in each other's company, and it, it, it's so much fun, so much fun. See, that's great because, like, I mean, it's a listener, isn't it? Because broadcasters are very quick to make decisions on shows and which is understandable you know there's a pressure that they're faced with but you know in a situation like that where they give you the time and then you just come up with this idea but also the fact that it's completely authentic you're doing something that you're really passionate about it's at a time where people need it and then you can just come across as like yourself with that as with like you say you don't have to put the presenty voice on just being like completely your authentic self and then that's when people connect to things yeah and 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 again with stand-up it's when we stop trying to be versions of, of what was already out there right um, yeah and we, and we were like let's just let's just be us and then um, 
and it just really felt like a click. So I was always interested in radio up to that point and curious about it. But when we did that in March, that it's ignited a, a real passion. So like we, we, we would love to go permanent on, on that station and, and, and just continue to do radio because as much as we felt like people can need this at this time, we did too, you know, mm. me and Dave who, who present it. Like it was the only time we we're getting to leave the house on a Friday, driving into Belfast to do this show. And you, you just felt like you were doing something more, you know, it's yeah, like, it's great, we're, it, it was a real privilege to, to get to do it. So yeah, it's fun. I think I'm, I'm doing a lot of different things at the minute, but I, I now know where the line is for spreading myself too thin. I know that we live in a time now where creative type people can do stand up and podcasts and acting mm-hmm. and write, but you just, I think, have to know when are you taking on too much and are you just saying yes to everything? And that was definitely a trap that I fell into. Yeah, I can completely relate to that because that's that's what this year has done for me is like try and pull into focus what is it that I'm focusing on, rather than you know spreading myself too thin and and doing x y and z i've tried to rein it in a little bit and yeah you feel you feel better for it there's you know definitely some strength in sometimes saying no to opportunities as opposed to saying yes to everything yep so you touched upon it before in terms of your your passion for uh football manager but uh what do you do what have you historically done and obviously now it's like different being a, a new dad etc but what have you done out to relax outside of work to relax and unwind and take your mind off your work and your career? Football. Football. So, Playing yeah. as well? Because you play, don't you? Play, yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, man. I mean, like, I will I will take a game anywhere. I, I play club football. Like, I played club football since I was, like, seven. Did you a high um, level? Uh, um, I mean, no. Like, before, yeah. Like, for, for Northern Ireland, relative, like, you know, amateur-type football. Yeah. And, like, yeah, good standard before. But like sometimes I've dipped in and out of it and uh, I, I weirdly I'm 32 but I'm playing the best but before COVID I was playing like the best football of my life and uh, and I'll play a game in, like last Sunday I played in a charity game mm. such bad weather and it was like a, a 45 minute drive where my friend asked me to come down and play mm-hmm. and I, I, I loved it I absolutely loved it ordered myself a red Under Armour shirt that turned out to be pink I didn't care. I was like, this is, <laughs> this is what we're doing. Um, and yeah. I just, I, I am completely obsessed with football. Like obviously aside from family, uh, comedy and football are my two things. And I actually don't like to really mix them. I do a character who's, who's like, uh, thinks he's like a local football and legend. Apart from that, I don't really do any sport based stuff because I, I, I like to keep them separate too. You know, mm-hmm. I like the, I just, I just love football. Like I'm, we have a game tomorrow before this lockdown kicks in, and like I'll be thinking. It's just a friendly. I'll be thinking about it all week. Like really? I, oh yeah. Like I, I, I am obsessed and always have been with football. And okay. uh, what is it you think that? What is it about football that you really love? What is it about it that connects to you? It's probably well, the playing of it is probably that thing of. You for some until you catch yourself on, you feel like you're doing what the, when you watch Man United play Man City. Mm. Sometimes you think that's what you're doing. 
yeah. you know like yeah, yeah sometimes i think how absurd is it that we're wearing matching kits there's a referee here you know and we're playing 45 minutes each way we're celebrating after we score goals i'm like yeah. if you step back and look to what we're doing this is absurd this is so weird that we're doing this like yeah. i understand the elite level premier league football but like we're doing our own version it's like playing uh like dress up yeah, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like adult dress up. That's uh, funny, man. Yeah, you get to burn a few calories doing it. So, um, like I just love playing football. I love playing like charity games. If there's like, um, I'm not going to use the term celebrity games, but there is a team here called like Celebrity Eleven. Okay. Um, and and I love that kind of thing because no one really takes them seriously. So it means I can, and then I can score a brace and and really just run right around the pitch and just like sit people down and. And not make people and do stepovers and and I mean I was at Kilkenny Festival, which is a brilliant comedy festival, um about five years ago. And on the Sunday of the festival, when everyone's hungover, they have a comedians an Ireland versus rest of the world comedians football match. Yeah, thousands of people come down and watch. And uh, the year I was down, I was playing up front with Kevin Bridges. And on the Saturday night, everybody was talking about the game, and they were drunk. All the comedians, and I genuinely remember someone buying me a drink and me putting it behind a plant pot and then chatting because in my head I was like we've got a match tomorrow <laughs> and I went I went down half an hour early before people to do a bit of a warm up and then like the first play of the game a ball was going to go into play at the corner flag and I just ran as quick as I could I kept it in play and it, there was like a slow motion bit where I like looked at the look on other comedians faces and I was like I look like the biggest dickhead in the world here like, I'm taking this so seriously. And Andrew Maxwell was playing, and I just looked across, and he was wearing a full wrestling mask. And I was like, I need to take this less seriously. So football is what I do to switch off um, at the start. Of, I've kind of been, like, living lockdown, like 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 a boxer waiting for, like a, a journeyman boxer waiting for, like, a world title fight. Mm-hmm. Like, I run one day, and then I work out the next day, and then I run and I work out. Okay. And I don't know what I'm training for. Yeah, but I'm I'm ready for it, whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. Well, you're 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 training for your for your giant son to yeah, confront to you. Fight my son. Yeah. Give me the tin pairs. <laughs> I know you got them somewhere. Um, I'm sure he doesn't speak in that aggressive tone. I'm going to be very softly spoken, which is probably even no, more threatening in some way. Yeah. <laughs> um, are there any books? Are you are you a reader? No. Okay. I mean, and only now at this age, kind of, am I okay with saying that? Because before, if you'd asked me that, I would have said yeah. yes. And then you would have asked me about a book and you I would have that that I knew what it was. I don't read. I don't watch the news. I like, th- here's, the th- here's the thing. Yeah. I'll read on holiday, but make no mistake, it will be somebody's autobiography. Oh, man, I love autobiographies. Okay, so I'm going cont- to ask the question then. Uh, okay, I'll make it more specific. Are there any autobiographies that you've read that have inspired you or had an impact on you in some way? Um, two, not really autobiographies. Um, the Alan, Alan Partridge's first book, I think okay. it was We Need to Talk About Alan. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, somebody who I wouldn't say is one of my favorite comedians, mm-hmm. uh, but I, I, somebody bought me Peter Kay's book, I think it's called The Sound of Laughter. Okay. And I read it when I went, when I went to holiday in Tenerife. And Peter Kay, I think, is one of those comedians where, as a comedian, it's not cool to say like you like him and yeah, he's in that Michael McIntyre bracket of 
people being like, he's not funny, and you've got to say he 100% is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just look at, he might not be the your success. Of course. Yeah. I read Peter Kay's book, sort of, sort of a little bit skeptical about, like, do I really want to read this book? And I, it and the Alan Partridge book, actually on the same holiday, I, I laughed out loud so much. I barely laughed reading the book, and I've never really had that before. That's great, um, man. I love those. But then when I go on holiday, I read Harlan Coben books. He's like a crime writer, very like, very like entry level thrillers. I enjoy. I, my max is two hundred thirty six pages. Yeah. Anything over, like I was the biggest Harry Potter fan. I would have like dressed up. I would have wore the sort and hat. Um, you know, I try to give myself the Harry Potter scar with a compass. As soon as J.K. Rowling brought out that brought out that really thick one, The Order of the Phoenix, gone. You just lost a you just lost a reader. Yeah. What are you doing? I don't like. I like to read a book in a week, but not fast. Yeah, it is off-putting, isn't it? It definitely will influence my decision depending on how thick the book is. Like, for instance, still haven't read the Bible. Got no interest. It's massive. Yeah, they should have condensed that. And like, also, you know, I, I find it very strange that God has talked about as like this religion guy when people are neglecting the fact that my man's the best-selling author of all time. Yes, it's the greatest. Yeah, the, it's the most popular book ever written. And why is he never mentioned in those debates? How come he hasn't got his own podcast? That's what I want to yeah. know. I, I I have this bit of stand up at the minute, right, about the Bible, and um, this bit has never worked on stage. But in my head, it's so funny to me. And it's about you know, like the monks were like the first ones to like physically write the Bible out into like book form. Um, okay. I didn't know I, that. But okay. Now I've said it, I don't know if yeah. they were, but I have a bit of material about, did they know, like, were they buzzing about it? Like, did they know it was going to be a smash hit? Like, were they, <laughs> yeah. were they really, like, telling their friends, like, listen, we're, this is going to be big? Yeah. Um, and, like, were they giving their friends extracts? And, be, you know, the friends are like, you know, I like this Judas guy, and the monks are, like, so smug about it. Like, oh, yeah, you do, yeah. Um, but, the, and, and, then, and then it leads on, and it's about, you know, did God have failed books before this? Did he have, you know, a crime series? It was just shit, you know, was he turned down before? And eventually he's like, wait, I got it, the Bible. Um, and I'm going to keep doing that material until it works. Yeah, man, you got it there. It's there. Yeah, and I guess what, what would God do now if he was to release it? Would he do it as an e-book? You know, yeah, would, he, would he self-publish? He'd be, he'd, be in a, he'd be in Bethlehem Waterstones doing a Q&A session. You know, he'd be, he'd be, yeah, signed copies. And uh, I think the punchline lets that down, which is no wonder he lives in the clouds. He sold 5 billion copies. <laughs> it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Yeah, I'm not going to, I'm not going to. It'll uh, work eventually. To, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to say, I'm not even going to attempt to help you with that. Final question I'm going to ask you, Shane Todd. What does the idea of balance mean to you or not? Um. Balance definitely means something to me because I, I'm always conscious of uh, the balance of, of work mm-hmm. and, then, and then time outside of work. And that's something I've got wrong in the past both ways. So there's times where I've not worked, especially when I went full-time with stand-up, um, I thought that it comes to you. you know. So I, like, I was regressed to like getting up like a student and, 
and I just waited for stuff to happen. Um, and then more recently, there's times where I've gone the other way, where like I've, I've prioritized work and uh, and really worked too hard, which I think is possible. And there's probably people who are like, you can't work too hard. Um, look, I prioritize my family over over my work, you know, and I would would I rather. Uh, work on some really cool project or go for a walk with my wife and my son. I'd rather go for a walk and I'll be really honest about that. Um, so I've got the balance wrong both ways, but I think I know myself what the, what the balance is. Lockdown has been hard because it's thrown off the way that you normally do things. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've had to come up with like a new kind of like new hours of business. You know, I think I'm working less, actually, even though I'm just in the house with nothing else going on. Um, I'm sort of almost working like a 10, 10 to 2 day, but trying to put way more into it as opposed to before where I was doing like 8 to 4, but like breaks in there and doing a bit of this and that and maybe going for a run in between there. So um, balance is really important to me and always something that I'm conscious of and like keeping an eye on and, making sure that I'm making sure that I'm getting right. But, but I don't know. Do you ever get it right? I think it's a constant work in progress, isn't it? Cause your priorities are always changing. Yeah. As, as you are. Um, that's an excellent answer. Thank you. And, uh, where can people find out what you're up to and, uh, you know, watch the stuff that you're creating? So we're, we're very, um, this attitude in Northern Ireland of, and I think it comes from years of, of like people being questioned by the police and, us feeling like we're suspicious to anyone outside of Northern Ireland. So whenever you said, how can people find out what I'm up to? I don't want people to find out what I'm up to. Um, and I and I really resent the idea that people will... Now I feel like I'm being watched. Um, I feel like people are keeping tabs on me. Um, people can... Uh, people can... I mean, just all the usual places, like Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, that kind of thing. Okay. I do a podcast called Tea With Me, um, which uh, goes out everywhere. Great. All right, Shane. Look, thank you so much, man. It's been great chatting to you. Steve, the big question I got asked before I go is, whenever you say bye here, are mm. we hanging up the Zoom call or are you just hitting stop and then are we talking for a little bit after? I'm good with either. I uh, I usually do a sort of a one, two, three, but it's always mistimed. And so inevitably someone hangs up first and the other f- person feels hurt and then they message yeah. and they go, hey, I thought we were actually going to chat. I didn't realize it was actually be a one, two, three. So why yeah. don't we just, we'll say we're going to have a little chat after um, yeah. or we can just do the one, two, three, but then just stay on. It's your call. I just wanted to know what we were going to do. Okay, well, we'll just do the one, two, three at the same time. One, one, two, two, three, three. How long are you leaving That's in between? It. One. Well, I, I see because I was moving my head then. I assumed that when you saw my head moving down, that would mean we're moving on to the next number. No, it's easier to see if you do one elephant, two elephant, three elephant. Ah, uh, yeah, that's where I'm going wrong. Perfect. And there we have it, Shane Todd in the building via Zoom. Hope you enjoyed that conversation. And if you did, as always, it would be much appreciated if you could rate and review the episode and the podcast Balancing Acts on Apple. And uh, let's get us up uh, one year in. Let's get us up to the new and noteworthy. 
uh, section. I wonder if there's a cutoff period because I tell you, I've seen some podcasts in there that have been going on for some time. And not that I'd complain, obviously, you know, I'd be happy if they put me in the new and noteworthy section five years in, let alone one. So anyway, uh, I digress. The point being, if you liked it, rate and review it, tell your friends and uh, you make Steve a happy boy as well as doing your good deed for the week. So, you know, karma. Karma recognises this stuff. You'll get rewarded. So, I mean, I won't necessarily reward you, but someone out there will some at some point reward you for it. So, you know, that's as good as incentive as any. So on next week's episode, we have the very funny Rachel Stubbings. I've been wanting to speak to her for a while. I'm a big admirer of her work. She's an actor, writer, filmmaker, former comedian, and we talk about the whole creative shtick, her journey, how she transitioned from live comedy to becoming a filmmaker, a short film night, loads and loads and loads. It's a really fun conversation, so check it out. Until next time, check it out. It's a bit naff, isn't it, that phrase, check it out. It's sort of like some smiley 90s CBBC presenter. So check it out, guys. Uh, Okay. Well, you know, it's there. It's going to be there next week. If, you subscri- if you've subscribed, it will be just, it will just come into your iPod. iPod. Imagine those. God, iPods. Those were the days, the good old days when we all had iPods and a pager. Anyway, until next time, see you later. Balancing Acts is made in association with the comedy crowd who support independent comedy creators. They showcase the best new videos on comedycrowdtv.com and across media platforms. They support independent comedy creators and showcase the best new videos, including adult animation, sketch shows, web series, viral hits, and lots more. So if you're a creator, then do check them out. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.